Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Australia's economic engine is roaring back to life. That's the headline quote tonight from an exuberant treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, in what he's labelled the comeback budget. Over the next hour, we will analyse Australia's recovery budget. The treasurer joins us too. Also, the shadow treasurer, Jim Chalmers, along with business leaders and Australia's top financial minds. But first, the main points. Let's start with the deficit. Good and bad news. It's $52 billion lower than predicted, but still a record high, $161 billion this year, falling to $57 billion in 24-25, with revenues up $110 billion. That's helped by booming iron ore sales to China at record prices and and stronger than predicted jobs growth. Unemployment is predicted to fall below 5% to 4.75 within two years before levelling out at 4.5 to keep the record jobs growing, though the government is doubling the job trainer program with another 170,000 apprenticeships costing $2.7 billion. $17.7 billion to rebuild the broken aged care system, including another 80,000 home care packages, 13,000 new home care staff, 33,000 training places, increased funding to centres of $10 per resident a day and bonus payments of $3,700 to encourage nurses into rural and regional aged care homes. A women's support package has been split in two parts. Economic security, $1.9 billion, including compulsory super for those earning as little as $450 a month. Already announced childcare rebate increases and a 2% deposit to help single parents buy homes. The second element, women's safety. $1.1 billion for more refuge accommodation, legal assistance and counselling services. In COVID-related spending, the budget assumes vaccinations will be underway nationwide by year's end, with localised but controlled COVID outbreaks continuing. No extended state border closures, international students returning from late year, migrants from mid next year and no real international travel until the second half of 2022. And more pandemic health funding. Another $1.9 billion for the vaccine rollout, $1.5 billion for testing and tracing and $120 million to help stranded Australians return home, taking total pandemic health spending to $20 billion. And $2.3 billion more on mental health for more treatment centres, online counselling and suicide prevention. Also big news for migraine sufferers, the new wonder drug, Emgality, listed on the PBS, reducing the cost from $6,800 a year to just $41.30 a script, just $6.60 for concession card holders. But the budget's biggest number by far is debt, 
$618 billion this year, expected to peak at $980 billion in 2025. So for more, let's go straight to our seven political editor, Mark Riley in Parliament House. Mark, good evening to you. Now, you were in the budget lockup. You've seen a few of these. What's your take on this one? <laughs> yeah, just a few. Good evening, Michael. Well, some amazement at the size of this spending. These numbers are eye-wateringly big. $60 billion in additional stimulus and improved services, $8 billion of it extending the tax offset of up to $1,000 for low- and middle-income earners, $20 billion or more in tax breaks for small business, uh, another $30 billion on additional services, the biggest whack, that $17.7 billion in the aged care system. A lot of that stimulus aimed, Michael, at keeping the extraordinary growth both in new jobs going to drive the unemployment rate down below 5% within a year or so. That's now the central economic aim. No longer an obsession with debt and deficit. It's all about spending our way out of trouble, it seems, Michael. Yeah, now the, the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, seemed pretty happy with himself, delivering all this good news. It's just cash floating around for everyone, it would seem. You've yeah. spoken with him this, this evening. Yeah, to quiz him on this big spending and how he believes that will lock in the recovery. Let's have a listen. Treasurer, thanks for joining us. Nice to be with you. A recovery budget, how long will this recovery take? Well, our goal is to secure the recovery as quickly as possible. That's why we've put record investments in skills and infrastructure, provided tax relief to Australian families and businesses. You see, Mark, we were facing an economic Armageddon last year with unemployment forecast by Treasury to reach Indeed, they feared it could reach as high as 15%. Today, it's 5.6%, but we can't uh, rest on those laurels. We have to consolidate the gains, and that's what this budget is designed to do, to get more Australians in work and to drive the unemployment rate even lower. So average Australian families will be asking, what's in this for us? What's in it? Well, for families, if you earn between forty-eight dollars and $90,000, you'll get $1,080 of tax relief at the end of the financial year. That's more than 10 million Australian taxpayers. So if there's a nurse at home who's married to a tradie, um, they'll get $2,160 uh, at the end of their tax year if they both earn between those amounts. Um, there's additional money for childcare. There's significant investments in mental health and disability support in aged care. Uh, because that's obviously a great area of need, as well as women's safety, as well as traditional economic areas like infrastructure, skills, um, the digital economy is a great focus as well. The last budget, just seven months ago, we were sitting here and we were mm. talking about the $4 billion job maker program. Mm. Tonight you've taken it down a dark alley and strangled it. What went so wrong? Well, the labour market has gone so right, and that's the key point. That was just one of many programs that we put in place. Let's not forget, even at last budget, the uh, Department of Treasury thought that the unemployment rate would be a lot higher than it is today. We've been the first major advanced economy to see our employment levels rise above where they were at the start of the pandemic. So programs like the apprenticeship program and the job trainer program, which have been more invested in, in tonight's budget, have been very successful and have helped drive that unemployment rate down. $130 billion odd in, have gone into savings from Australians from stimulus payments. How do you encourage them <laughs> to spend that money? Well, the Australians watching us tonight no doubt will make their own choices about what their financial priorities are. But as they have more confidence in the recovery, uh, history does show you that they spend more. 
and household consumption is up. Uh, the housing sector is very strong as well because Australian families are taking advantage of the low interest rates to get into the housing market as well as federal and state incentives like the Home Builder Program. So Australians are spending, they're spending in greater amounts than they did last year. This is helping to create jobs and that's what our focus is. Well, that's going to be their choice, but I would always welcome it. $17.7 billion in aged care sounds like a lot of money. The sector says it's not enough. It's significant funding as well as significant reform. On the home care uh, side, we've put in place 80,000 new home care packages, 40,000 starting from this year and then 40,000 next year. With respect to residents. That resi- doesn't clear the backlog though, Treasurer, does it, it? The backlog is probably around 100,000, but it builds on the extra home care packages that we recently announced. But there are workforce issues. When you've got greater demand for aged care services, you need the workforce that can provide those services. And so in this budget, we've got 33,000 training positions for people in the care workforce. Uh, We've also got more respite for carers as well as retention bonuses for nurses to ensure that they can provide, mark that level of support to to the aged care sector. But there's also uh, extra requirements about the the amount of time that carers and nurses need to spend with each resident. There's an increase to the base funding. Like I said, workforce, you've got stronger regulators as well with more spot audits as well. So uh, very significant reform in that sector. When will Australians get a wage rise? Well, when we start to see uh, a tighter labour market and Treasury and the Reserve Bank have said that you need to get unemployment with a four in front of it to start to see an acceleration in wages. So that's why we're driving down. months before we get there? Well, I'll leave uh, leave you to be Nostradamus. I will just focus on driving the unemployment rate down. And Mark, as you know, Australia hasn't seen a sustained level of unemployment below 5% for some time. Have you done enough here for women? Does this budget say that you really get it? Well, there's a, a very significant focus on initiatives to support women's health, support women's safety, uh, and to support women's economic security. We announced the childcare package, which is very significant. Uh, that will see. It doesn't start for a year. It, it doesn't start to mid next year. If we can do it earlier, we will. There's obviously technical issues with systems that you need to put in place, but that's going to help more women make the choice to to stay in the workforce longer. Um, there's also initiatives around women's safety, around safe houses, legal assistance, financial assistance to women who are fleeing domestic violence. And then when it comes to women's health, we've listed a number of new drugs on the pharmaceutical benefit scheme, as well as initiatives around breast cancer awareness uh, and screening and a number of other measures. Business wanted 26 weeks shared paid parental leave. The union seemed to be behind that. Why is that not in this budget? Well, we've got 18 weeks uh, paid parental leave. Um, we've had to put priorities in terms of our initiatives and one of the priorities that we're placed on is boosting female workforce participation and that is done through the childcare announcement. So this is a recovery budget and I guess the next one is a pre-election budget. (laughs) Uh, Bring it forward to April and uh, use it as a launching pad to another May election? Look, I'll leave that commentary to you, Mark, but what I can tell you is... It's a fair bet, though, Well, well, you can put the bets wherever you like. I'm going to say that my bet is on the Australian economy and on backing Australians to come out of this crisis stronger than they went into it. We have led the world in our health and our economic response, but we're not out of it yet. There's no time to let up. We've got to secure the recovery. That's what this budget does. Treasurer, thanks for your time. Good to be with you.
So Josh Frydenberg, very happy with the budget there. Of course, a lot of this big spending is structural spending. That is yeah. spending that goes in year after year after year. And a lot of the revenues here are cyclical. That is one-offs. Um, what happens with the iron ore price? We don't know. What happens with tax revenues in the years to come? We don't know. So there's a, a lot of money in this, but also a bit of hope, Michael. Yeah, indeed. So how's the opposition responded tonight? You've spoken with them, Ross? I have. The question Labor's asking is um, how will the government um, spend this money in a way that, that really leaves Australia with something to show for all that outlay? Shadow Treasurer Jim Chalmers picked out one area where Labor might vote against the plan. Here he is. Jim Chalmers, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Mark. What isn't in this budget that should be? Oh, look, I think there are a range of missed opportunities in the budget. You think about it, they've spent $100 billion, they've racked up a trillion dollars in debt, they still haven't implemented the recommendations of the Aged Care Royal Commission, they still haven't done anything to make uh, energy cheaper and cleaner, they've missed a whole bunch of opportunities to undo the damage done over the last eight years. But I think the defining problem with this budget is that even after spending $100 billion and a trillion dollars of debt, they've still got real wages going backwards, and that, I think, is an admission of failure. Is there anything that you would vote against in this? We're still working our way through it. I mean, clearly one of the things that troubles us, which we'll look at very closely, is there are 21 different slush funds in this budget with billions of dollars stored up to get this government through an election. We know how that goes typically with sports rorts and dodgy land deals and all kinds of money for mates. And so what we want to do is go through the budget carefully. Uh, no doubt there'll be some things we want to support, some things that we'll have a problem with. Lots of stimulus spending there. Going for jobs, is that a good approach? Well, we've said all along that the priority's got to be jobs. You know, we've got an issue here with almost 2 million people who can't find a job or can't find enough hours to support their loved ones. That's a problem in the economy, as is the fact that millions more Australians have been trying to get by on stagnant wages for much of the last eight long years of this government. So does this change your approach to spending? They can hardly have a crack at you for spending too much after this. Well, it just exposes what they've been saying for the last decade as a complete and utter sham. Uh, and what we've said all along, being entirely consistent, is jobs are the priority. The level of debt does matter, but what matters the most is what you actually have to show for that trillion dollars in debt. And you go through this budget, all the money that's sprayed around, the government won't have much to show for it. And the evidence of that is the fact that real wages go backwards, growth goes back to below average after a couple of years. There are a whole range of issues in this budget that have not been addressed. That's why it's more marketing, mismanagement and missed opportunities. You mentioned debt there a couple of times, the government's not. It's debt and deficit, are they really priorities at the moment? Isn't it a time to spend? Well, it's a time to support jobs. We've said that all along. We've said that for some time now, that the role of the government needs to be to help people keep their jobs, to create new jobs, to create more hours in the economy so people can provide for their loved ones. We desperately want people to get ahead in this recovery and we don't want people left behind. Uh, and the difference between us and the government is we want to make sure that there's something to show for that trillion dollars in debt that they've racked up. We will compare our approach to their approach to sports rorts and all the other uh, rorts that riddle the budget. Uh, any day. All right, Jim Chalmers, thanks for your time. Thanks, Mark. So Labor's shadow treasurer there identifying a lot of hollow logs in this budget where there's a bit of money stashed away that the government can use in particular areas. There are a lot of winners, that's for sure, from young people in apprenticeships, low and middle income earners, small businesses, right through to retirees looking to downsize their home and top up their super. It hits all the key demographics, part of a political rebuild for Scott Morrison's government, Michael. Indeed, Ross. All right, there's a bit more to talk about. We'll come back to you for some more analysis in just a tick. Let's cross now to political report 
reporter Olivia Leeming, who's been with Union and Business Representatives tonight. Uh, Liv, good evening to you. Almost $18 billion aged care package is the centrepiece of tonight's budget. What's the reaction been to that? Michael, seniors groups are hailing this a revolution in aged care. This should clear the entire waiting list for Australians desperate for a home care package within two years, even faster than what was recommended by the Royal Commission. But concerns emerging tonight from within the aged care workforce. The nursing union warns that minimum staffing levels in nursing homes won't be mandated until at least 2023. They say they cannot wait that long and also concerned for the extra face to FaceTime announced tonight for residents and staff of at least 200 minutes a day. They say that is still not enough. Have a listen. Tonight the government has made some positive steps towards aged care reform, but it is not the once in a generation aged care reform package that was promised. In terms of home care, we are, this is unprecedented, 80,000 packages over the next two years. Uh, we will have, by the end of that time, more home care packages than we'll have beds. All right, so Olivia, the government was accused in its last budget of not considering women. Did this one hit the mark? Well, no. Advocates for women say this still falls short, despite this being touted by the government as a female-friendly budget. This women's package, it's nearly $3.5 billion, though um, half of that funding is towards their childcare reforms, which won't start for another year. Women's groups say they wanted to see universal childcare, expanded paid parental leave with super to try and reduce that gender pay gap. And they're concerned that there's nothing in the budget for women who have already retired without any savings. Here's some of what they had to say. There is so much more that needs to be done in order to, to provide greater equity and to help women in particular to catch up in terms of their retirement savings. I think that unfortunately what this budget does is reinforce the message that this government does not understand or recognise the needs of women. Now, business has broadly welcomed this budget, though the tourism sector in particular crying out for more support. They are deeply concerned by the assumptions in the budget tonight that international borders aren't likely to reopen until at least the middle of next year. They say many in the tourism sector simply will not recover. Michael? Indeed. We're going to talk about that a bit more as well. All right, Olivia Leeming in Canberra, thank you. Well, there's been a lot of winners in this year's budget, but many will feel they've been overlooked. Let's dig a little deeper now with the help of our political editor, Mark Riley, Deloitte economist Chris Richardson and Chief Investment Officer from Berman Invest, Julia Lee. Thank you all for joining me, Riles. I'm going to go back to you and start with you first. It's been called the recovery budget. Once everyone's unwrapped the presents here and had a good look at the gift inside, is it a bit too optimistic? Well, not on the strength of what's happening now, Michael. I think any way you look at it, the Australian economy is already in a quite extraordinary recovery phase and this is tailored to supercharge that. There's a huge jump in revenues here, about $110 billion more in taxes than the government had expected, but a lot of it, if not all of it, has been spent. Big numbers on critical areas, fixing um, broken healthcare system, the uh, women's security package, the vaccine rollout, extending those tax breaks to low and middle income earners and small business. 
All of that set against the backdrop of a fairly optimistic set of assumptions about the pandemic, the continuing strength of the jobs market and that Australians will start to spend more of that $130 billion in stimulus that they've scribbled away in their bank accounts mm. and under their beds. If all that happens, yep, the recovery keeps powering along. But the fundamental change here really is the government's fiscal approach from prudent conservatism to uh, spend, 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 Michael. Yeah, indeed. Chris, the biggest surprise for you? Um, it's exactly what Riles just said. It's the spend, spend, spend that is a surprise. Um, the government's been talking about spending more, uh, and it does line up. You know, the economic priority is to drive unemployment down. To do that, you need to spend uh, policy-wise. They need to spend on aged care, and that's where the jobs are. Uh, but the dollars involved are very big. Yeah, Julia, not a hint of austerity here. Who are the biggest winners in this budget, in your view? Well, if we have a look at where the money is being spent, the biggest amount of money is being spent for businesses with write-offs. So that's about $18 billion, followed by about $15 billion into the aged care sector, and then about $10 billion for jobless support. But I think what's interesting here is the most amount of money is being used to support businesses, but there's also the seeds of sowing for the future. We know that Australians are the best diggers of dirt in the world, but the rest of the world <laughs> is getting greener and more innovative. So one point two billion dollars for that digital transformation things like artificial intelligence as well as that patent hub with the the tax cut of a 17 percent for biotech companies as well as healthcare companies i think is the right step in the right direction yeah it seems to be solid uh, chris in this road ahead the road to recovery are there any potholes who are the losers uh, well, the, the losers are if you're connected to borders, um, you know, because with that slow vaccine rollout and uh, Australians or some of them hesitant uh, around vaccines, that means closed or pretty hard borders uh, for longer. So, you know, if you're universities and you depend on, on foreign students, uh, if you're um, the housing sector and like to see that flow of migrants to build um, houses for them, uh, if you're uh, looking at tourists and your Cairns or Port Douglas, um, Basically, if you connected the borders, the news is still bad. Yeah, Ros, Chris has got a point there, doesn't he? Because if, you, if that broader hospitality tourism sector must be looking at this whole budget tonight thinking, we're still in strife. Yes, and uh, there has been a lot of support for the sector um, over the past year or so. Uh, I think the, the assumption is that Australians are going to start to spend some of that money at home and perhaps uh, support those sectors. But, you know, that, I mean, that's a lot of wishful thinking. Um, you know, there's uh, some strategic targets here that the government's hitting. It's hitting big targets. And, it's you know, it's going for jobs. It's going to, to support jobs as it has done since the beginning of the pandemic and to create more jobs growth. That's the big political target here. Julia, the budget suggests that international travel is going to remain low or non-existent till mid-next year. Do you think the government is underestimating Australians' desire to have the borders open or are they exactly on the money here? I think this has been such a strange recession as well as recovery in that the health consequences have been tied to the economic consequences and that's the same when it comes to borders. There have been areas that have been hard hit things like higher education, depending on international students, as well as those uh, tourist hubs. But we have seen a bit of support come through. So some subsidies for those higher education areas hit by those international students not coming to Australia, as well as about 800,000 half-price flights into yeah. tourism centres mm. like the Sundays in Hamilton Island. Chris, what's missing from the budget? And I guess in the context of that whole uh, uh, talking about tourism and hospitality, there's, there's still a, a labour shortage, isn't there, in many areas. What's missing in your view? 
Um, the missing thing is, um, you know, we've announced a lot of new spending and it is needed, but we have not announced how we're going to pay for it. Uh, and, and right now, that's not what you need. You know, you, you, the best way to drive unemployment down, the best way uh, to repair the budget is actually to repair the economy. I'm happy to see that extra spending. But down the track, uh, Australia does have a budget repair task. And you know, one of the reasons we did so well during COVID is that we used the budget to protect ourselves. It, it would be good to rebuild that capacity at some stage. You don't need to do it fast. Uh, but we shouldn't forget, this is the easy bit. Announcing a lot of extra money is the easy bit. Paying for it's the hard bit. Yeah, Julia, your take on that, because that is, a, that is a big level of debt and in quite a few generations to work it out. It's an unprecedented level of debt, not only here in Australia, but across the globe to get us out of this pandemic. And I guess the idea is that governments spend when times are tough in order to help the economy grow, and that growth should help pay down that deficit. Some pretty amazing numbers here, though. The unemployment rate expected to get below 5% late next year. Now, we haven't seen the unemployment rate below yeah. 5% for a decade since 2011, when interest rates were about 6.5% for mortgage rates. Yeah. Rosal, final question to you, and maybe pick up on what Julia was saying there. I mean, it wasn't too long ago you were interviewing the Treasurer and he was adding zeros to the end of everything and couldn't add things up because it was looking so dire. And now yes, we have right. this situation. Um, yes, yeah. it's, it's, I mean, it's an extraordinary turnaround. You can't take away from that. But what sort of budget is this? It's obviously a political one, but is it a pre-election one as well? Yeah, look, um, I think everything a government does is political. That's my starting point, yeah. uh, Michael. B budgets are value statements. They're, they're you know, pieces of paper with numbers on them, but they also uh, have political objectives. And here, you know, they're spreading the benefits across all demographics and regions, making massive commitments to fi yeah. uh, fix big issues in service areas like you know, aged care, mental health, women's uh, health and economic security, but putting most of its chips on jobs. It's uh, a political plan, no doubt, to buy back favour in parts of the electorate that have gone a bit lukewarm on the government. I think it still plans to bring forward the next budget to April and uh, use that as a launching pad to election next May. But the caveat there is always, uh, I say, Prime Ministers go to the polls when they think they have the best chance of winning. And if that chance arises late this year, it's a possibility. But I think we might see another budget before an election. I think you, you're mostly right, Ross, so let's hope that's the case. We <laughs> don't want to think about an election anytime soon, that's for sure. All right, <laughs> Julia, Chris, Ross, thank you for joining us tonight. Well, recovery was a theme of this year's budget with a focus on driving unemployment down and boosting funding for aged care. So has enough been done to successfully steer the nation out of the pandemic? Let's bring in our panellists for tonight, advertising executive and labour strategist Dee Madigan and Small Business Women Australia founder Amanda Rose. Dee and Amanda, great to have you here. Let's start with this boost to jobs. Dee, I'll ask you first. Labor has accused the government of failing to deliver on its JobMaker program in last year's budget. Can it deliver this time around? Well, last time they promised us 450,000 jobs and delivered 1,000. So, you know, if you want to know what the future looks like, look at the history. And this is not a government that's very good at delivering on promises. Amanda, a job trainer fund, let's talk about that. The Treasurer announced a boost for that. How essential is that upskill funding to put more people into work? Oh, it's fantastic. Um, I actually really like the education focus on this budget. It makes a big difference because those who don't have a job right now, you train them you're future-proofing them. And I think investing as much as possible in education is key. Dee, you're suspicious about whether that can be delivered properly? Only because in the past we saw just how much the education sector can get rorted by private operators. So you'd want to make sure that there was a massive amount of transparency and accountability in the system. Yeah. 
Um, let's talk about um, small business, family businesses as well. Uh, Dee, has enough been done to give them, I guess, confidence to make long-term decisions after such an uncertain time? I think what all businesses need is certainty. And I think the bit that's missing from me from this budget massively is no funding for a quarantine centre, an Australian federal quarantine centre. And if we've got bits of our economy having to shut down every you know couple of weeks, which is literally how it's been, that's not going to provide those businesses with any certainty at all. And I'm also thinking um, low wages is a massive problem for Australia and there's nothing in this budget to address that. And if workers have low wages, they don't spend in the small businesses. So it's it's a cyclical problem that hasn't, I don't think, been addressed. Amanda, let's talk about the low wages point that Dee raises with you first. I mean, many of those are sometimes uh, female workers, particularly in, in rotating casual positions. Are enough female workers and business owners supported in this budget? Um, I think they are. See, I deal with a lot of small business owners and they actually struggle to get people to come to the jobs that are available. So I find that we have a work ethic problem and maybe the job trainer will actually ignite some ambition uh, in people and give them a bit of hope uh, and want to get back into the routine of going for a job. But there are jobs out there. And from the small business perspective, I think this budget is quite good. I like the tax um, write-offs, you know, the rebates, the digital economy piece is actually really important for the women in small business because they don't necessarily have equipment. Right. So I, if you can I get a rebate, the... no. If you can get a rebate on software, because a majority of women have professional services, that's going to help them a great deal. Dee? I think to say that people don't have, you know, job ethics because they're not going for jobs is no, just I said outrageous. A, there no, are people who are desperately work. looking no, I know for they work, are. and I think if companies are not paying enough for people to actually want to work for them, that says a lot about, about the low paying. wages that we've There's got. Not, so we what don't we've have seen a wage problem. We don't have a low wage problem. People get paid very well in this country, and I can guarantee. What universe are you living if you think people are getting well paid in this, in this, in this country when there are people who can work two jobs and are barely able to cover That's their the rent and mortgage? That's the cost of living, Dee. That's different. The wages are quite good, but the cost of living is high. That's they're a different the same issue. Thing. No, they're not. You can't not. say it's a high wage if it doesn't meet the cost of living, Amanda. It is they're not, the same thing. Let me thing. tell you, I work with women in Western Sydney and they're comfortable with what they're earning, right? Oh, what they no, don't like, what they don't like is the fact that there's um, unpredictability with, with what's happening, like with the pandemic, OK? That is an issue. So the fact that oh I don't know if they're going to have Lordy. a job next month is an issue, right. but the government is helping with that. OK, two different points of view there. Let's move on, because there's so many areas to talk about as well, if you don't mind. Aged care, the government's committing an extra $10 billion over four years to the aged care sector. Uh, Dee, many workers say it's not enough uh, to meet the demand, employ staff. Have they shortchanged a, a struggling sector? Oh my, yes, they have. Look, the, the last aged care report, the interim report, was titled Neglect, and the government enacted none of the recommendations from that. It's not just about money, it's about a whole lot of things. For example, nurse to um, patient ratios is an important thing as well, because there's all these aged care centres with no nurses at all at night time, mm. with aged care staff, sometimes one person for 60 patients. So it's not enough just to put money into the system. Mm. They actually have to make a lot of those private aged care. Again, it goes back to accountability and transparency. Yep. The government can't just throw money at private aged care systems without yes. demanding they up the level of service I they're agree. delivering. Amanda, you're taking that? Yeah. 100% I agree with that, because, you know, the issue, and this is what I keep saying, 
saying is you do a Royal Commission, right, and we realise that the, the people aren't being looked after and there's actually no criteria of where they have to spend the money. So throwing more money, exactly what you said, Dee, throwing more money out is not going to fix the problem. I want to make sure that all that money has to go to the nurses, has to go to the care of those individuals yeah. and doesn't just get thrown into the executive's bank accounts. And not absorbed in profits either by That's the operators. Right. Um, Amanda, let me ask you this. The government also promised to deliver a so-called female-friendly budget this time around. What's your take? Did they succeed? Oh, I think they did. Um, massive difference to last time. I do like the fact that they're focused on childcare because that's like the number one issue I get, not just from career women, but small business women, because people forget that a small business woman is trying to run a business, build a business and look after the children. Uh, I also like uh, the safety aspect and, and more money, especially with the legal help for women, because often women don't have the capacity to be able to get legal support mm. and the mental health component as well the digital mental health component. I really like that because a lot of people are isolated and the fact that they can privately reach out for help online is really important. Do you a genuine uh, female-friendly budget or, or marketing? Well, I don't know that I'd have done a drinking game every time they said women because I would have been really <laughs> drunk. Um, I don't... Look, I think the women's health package is good. I don't mm. think it does eight years of cuts to domestic violence services, to crisis services, to the fact that the lowest wages are in female-dominated industries and to the cuts to penalty rates, again, in industries tended to be female-dominated. Yeah. So not enough. All right, Dee, overall, though, a game-changer, this budget, or not? No, because I don't trust them to deliver it. Um, <laughs> so far, they've promised... I mean, Scott Morrison has promised so many things and delivered on so few of them. So it's based on a whole lot of assumptions that, mm. that I don't think he'll deliver. Amanda, I'll give it to you. What do oh, you think? Oh, look, the thing is, I'm, like... I'm hopeful because I saw what JobMaker did for people and JobSeeker and how it helped. So I'm very hopeful and I would rather wait and see and question and look for accountability. Like you, you said, Dee, I'm, I'm all for that and see what happens. But I don't want to attack it now when it's right there. I want to see what happens. So I want to see like quarterly reports on how it's going. Yeah. Just briefly, both of you, any surprises for either of you, Dee? I think you mentioned the lack of funding for a federal quarantine centre, but any surprises for you in this? I think it, for me it was the quarantine thing. I just, I, I was so sure they'd do it because it just yeah. makes such economic sense. I'm still flabbergasted it's not there. Amanda? Um, not, not surprises, but I do see there's a gap for uh, small business women in particular. I would like to see there to be uh, that they get a share of the tenders. So there's a, a criteria that they get because um, they don't just want handouts, they want contracts. They want a job, they want to work, they want to grow their companies. So I'd like to see that happen. All right. Well, look, we'll bring you back to talk about low wages another time. I think there's a lot more to talk about <laughs> in that subject with both of you as well. Dee and Amanda, thanks for joining us tonight. Pleasure. Thank you.